Good evening, grave robbers. Welcome back to the television graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Lara Prince and Noah Houlihan, and we have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This is a podcast in which we will analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, or even only one episode. With me, as always, is TV's Noah Houlihan. And I thought of a game. You try to talk, and I'll just keep saying monkey. Okay. Monkey. Oh, monkey. Gonna... No. Monkey. I can just keep saying monkey. Oh, God. Monkey. So, kids, uh, grave robbers, friends, uh, this, week, this week we are doing uh, steve.odakirk.com. Yes, also known as The O Show. Uh, this ran on NBC in 1997. Yes. Uh, once. Once. It was a pilot. It's listed on IMDb as a TV movie. That happens all the time with pilots, though. Yes. This is a sketch show starring and created by Steve Odekirk and has a cast of very few other than Steve Odekirk. How do people know who Steve Odekirk is? You might know Steve Odekirk as the creator of the Thumb movies. Okay. You also may know him as the creator of Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, and The Barnyard. Okay. He also directed uh, Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls, Joanna Man, Nothing to Lose, and Patch Adams. Okay, and uh, Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Oh, yeah, I, I, I left out his big one. He's the star and creator of Kung Pao Enter the Fist. And now, the rest of you will probably know him as the guy who beat Joey Gladstone on Star Search on Full House. It's between the champion, Steve Odekirk, or the challenger, Joey Gladstone. Let's see who it's going to be. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Odekirk, still champion. Yes. Uh, which is how I knew who he was. <laughs> So this is, um, this happened. Uh, this was September 3rd, 1997, and aired only once, and it is extremely hard to come by. Yes. Uh, it was uploaded into YouTube fairly recently. Actually, not that fairly recently. Re- really? Eight years ago. Oh, okay. It was okay. uploaded. Uh, you made it sound like you'd been looking for this for ages. I had been, but then I stopped and deemed it too hard to find, and then it turned out it was all on there. Yeah, so this, uh... This was about a four, this was a 45 minute it was an hour long time slot. Yes. And uh, the best way I can describe this is turn on but the 90s. So let's pour one out. Let's pour one out. Uh, what in the cinnamon toast hell is that? Uh, so uh, I based this one off of one of the sketches called Hotsi, which is about uh, wasabi. So this is a wasabi cocktail I'm calling the Hot Hot Hotsi. Okay. Uh, it is actually a watermelon gimlet. Okay. So basically what I did is I mixed, uh, after you were nice enough to make me some simple syrup, I mixed simple syrup with wasabi, and then I added it to some lime juice some watermelon mint uh, vodka and some watermelon juice and then uh, I shook it up in a martini thing and poured it into this glass so it is a light pink and it's got little green floaties of wasabi in it everywhere oh yeah they're all starting to rise to the top it looks pretty gross it looks really gross I have not tried this yeah this was Uh, a very collaborative process because I made the simple syrup and I also uh, reminded you that we had watermelon, mint, and vodka. Yes. Also, since, like, this was my thing, I wanted to do something uh, that was elaborate and possibly a little punishing. So let's go ahead and take a sip. I actually really like this. I'm not surprised. It smelled very watermelony because I did sniff it when you were taking a picture of it. It's got, like... The memory of heat. Okay. Like, like, I wouldn't call it spicy, but uh, it's very nice if you'd like to try it. Oh, uh, no. I, I recommend it. I, uh, fine. Here we go. Laura has it. Pray for me. It actually is very good. It's very good. Um, I think in the future, if you ever make this again, mm-hmm. I would recommend uh, putting the wasabi in when we make the simple syrup. 
Yeah, I think that was and the cooking down the wasabi with the sugar. That was the mistake uh, because it's delicious, mm-hmm. but it's ugly. Yeah, it's not appealing, uh, but like there's no heat to it. But there's almost like kind of like a slight massage on the tongue, like that something's going on. Yeah, like it's actually it is quite good. I think. Uh, now, Gimlet, you said, was mostly cucumber originally, and you adapted it to watermelon. Yes. Uh, because you don't really care for cucumber. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. You get a really strong watermelon profile mm-hmm. on it. Uh, the vodka is watermelon mint vodka, and I think the mint does take... The mint does help it a little, yeah. Does take kind of the edge off. So <laughs> I made the, hey, it's the 90s, you guys. Yeah. Uh, because this is this show has a punishingly late 90s aesthetic. Uh, so I wanted to come up with a cocktail that also had a punishingly late, punishingly late 90s aesthetic. And what is more 90s than McDonald's orange drink? Right, right. So I made a orange margarita that I then put too much food coloring in. Yeah, to make extra orange. To get that extreme orange color. It's just uh, tequila, triple second lime juice, so a traditional margarita. And then I added some... Uh, Rise vitamin water, which is their orange flavor, to get like right. kind of an orange taste to it. How's that? Yo, that's great. Good? Yeah, taste it. I'll take a I mean, it's a margarita. It. it tastes like a margarita. Uh, it's got a nice hint of orange. Yeah, that's very nice. Yeah, because it's vitamin water, so it's like... Both of our drinks do a little thing to my sinuses, which is nice. Yeah, it's, a, it's orange vitamin water, which means it's slightly more flavorful than seltzer. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's got like just enough orange. The I don't like super strong cocktails, so the vitamin water kind of takes, mm-hmm. uh, kind of fills it out. Yeah, it's good. I mean, yeah. we made two good drinks. Yeah, I do love how hilariously orange my drink is. Yes. So uh, let's get into this show. The frame story to this is a child at his very 90s computer. Yeah. When his mom comes in and is like, I got you a bunch of video games. Don't stay up all night playing them. And as he goes through, without a case, he discovers a disc that says steve.odakirk.com. Yes. So, it's a creepypasta. Ben drowned! Yeah. Uh, My first note is, oh, Ben drowned. And he puts in this disc, and this insanity starts. It is basically a cartoon... With Steve Oderkirk running around. Yeah, and it is terrifying late 90s CGI Steve Oderkirk. Along with actual Steve Oderkirk. Yeah, and like, I I cannot impress upon you enough how ugly this show is. Yeah. It is that very boxy, ugly, late 90s CGI. Uh, Reminds me a little bit of Game Over. Yes. Um, Which, something I wanted to bring up. This show, I believe, came out in 1997. Yes, it did. Where does that fall in line with, say, Toy Story? Toy Story is 1995. Okay. Um, Toy Story had every, uh, had a lot more resources. Because Toy Story was the first completely digitally animated feature film. Right. This this looks pretty good compared to, to original Toy Story. Like, there's some real goodness to this. And, like, we're spoiled by CGI now. Yes. And this was the first primetime show to use this much computer animation. Yeah. So, I I think it's very interesting. And it looks terrible now. Yes. But I think it looked decent then. Yeah. It it looks... uh, It looks old, but it also, like, probably didn't look old then. Right. Uh, This feels hilariously dated now. Mm-hmm. It is definitely... Um, usually when we say a product of its time, it's because the show is turned out to be like racist or sexist. Yeah. But this is a product of its time in the most innocent sense of that. Yeah, in of the like, quality of the, the actual product. Like, this is aggressively 90s. Uh, this would have been right before Bug's Life. Because Bug's okay. Life was like 98. Okay. So this would have been after Toy Story, but before Ants and Bugs Life. All right. All right. So that's how, that sounds right. And uh, in this opening sequence, he's running around and he's just like, welcome, I'm Steve Oderkirk. Bring me the peacock since he's on NBC. Right. And he kind of tries to set it up like, welcome to steve.oderkirk.com. This is what the internet is. Yes. And... 
what we then see is a pretty good representation of 90s internet, in my opinion. Yeah. Like, it's more weird than clever. Mm-hmm. So, like, it gets its funniness from being this weird thing you found on the internet rather than this funny thing that someone wrote. Yeah, because we hadn't hit that level of, like, you had to be super clever. Yeah, you had... It was just like, look, it's a picture of a dog on the internet. Well, like, the way things got away, got around with word of mouth on the internet was that it was weird. Like, did you see that weird thing? Yeah. Where this... Did you see that weird squirrel that swears? Oh, foamy. <laughs> like, things like that, where it, it was like... If it was really funny, it would be on TV type mm-hmm. thing. But now we're taking the internet and putting it on television. Yeah, and, like, the first little sketch is he goes, I have access to anything I want. It's the internet. And then he asks for a woman. And a Game Over-esque woman comes up and, like, goes, like, hi, Steve. And he's like, oh, cool. Bring me a dancing dog and a dancing cow. Yes. And that, like, oh, my God, so random. This was, like, just ahead of the, like, LOL spork kind of humor. Yes, yes. Uh... And if you know what the random spork girl is, congratulations, you're old. That's a mean thing to do our fans. It's also, it's also us. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of this show. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I forget how we get from here to here, but he ends up in space fighting babies. Oh no, uh, There's first there's a vignette of him performing at a club and like doing, regular Steve Odekirk doing stand-up. Yes, and I like this joke. It's him, like, weirdly walking around on stage with, like, his arms in a weird position. And he milks this. He's The only time in your life you can walk around like this and not look like a jerk is when you're in a pool. And, like, when he hits you with that, you're like, oh, that is a perfect example of someone in a pool. It it reminds me of... uh... Uh, my friend Vegas used to do a joke that uh, they, were, they used to do all these jokes of like, did you ever notice white people walk like this and black people walk like this? Mm-hmm. And he used to do a joke that was, you ever notice white people walk like this? And he'd walk normally and then he goes, and then T-Rexes walk like this. And he'd just stamp around the stage. It's, with his, it's one of my favorite, favorite Vegas Lancaster jokes. Yeah, like this very uh, instantly relatable, instantly understandable premise and payoff. But, like, still very family-friendly. Like, this show is, for the most part, pretty family-friendly. I would say, like, soft PG-13. Yeah, I would say that. Uh, This, uh... So, I like that joke, but he's performing in front of, like, weird CGI creatures. Mm -hmm. And the way it cut between different things, it made me feel... I'm not sure if you got this. I got... Beekman's World vibes from it? I could definitely see Beekman's World. Because, like, they do actually cut to penguins. And I was like, oh, I'm having all these memories. Yeah, I could definitely see where you'd get Beekman's World vibes. Oh, man, that's a a show I haven't thought about in a while. Yeah. So he tells that one joke, and he gets some laughs. And then how does he get to space? Um, The transitions between these shows... Uh, the t- transitions don't make any sense, and they're so quick mm-hmm. that it's very easy to just kind of be like, wait, what happened? Well, there's a whole sequence where he's talking to an eyeball, which is his co-pilot, as he flies around in space fighting babies. Yeah. And instead of shooting lasers, he shoots pacifiers. Yeah. Space babies! <laughs> they're, they're really cute, aren't they? Aren't they cute? <laughs> they could kill us! Oh, I'd like to hug every one of them. And then they take our heads! Like, the stars in the background are also his face. Like, this whole moment's a fever dream. Yeah, and this is when I I start to kind of be like, I don't know about this. (laughs) Um, Because it's very... It's very weird. It's interesting you say that, because you say you're not sure about this. I noticed throughout the... Canned laughter seems unsure about it. 
Huh, I did not catch that. There's not a lot of like uproarious applause and laughters. It's a lot of like nervous (laughs) laughter, which is insane because we know that it's all computer generated. Like Steve Odeker could have made that laughter anything. And he still chose to make the audience reaction almost unsure of the comedy itself. Yeah, like it's a very, very, very weird situation. Um, he, so we get to this booth guy and the booth guy is a recurring segment. We see booth guy about three or four times during this and it's, it's Biff. Yeah. Tom Wilson is back to the future trying to get gas and Steve Odekirk plays the guy in the booth and he just mocks him. Yeah. You got an attitude problem? Because he knows he's in, like, bulletproof glass and, like, Biff can't kill him. Mm-hmm. So he uses this power to just mock everything that is being said. Yeah, it's it's immature, but it's kind of like... Uh, it's honestly really all that to me. Yes. Like, that kind of very, very... I have a concept and I'm going to grind this concept into the ground. Yeah. Uh, this sketch kind of works... But we're going to see him again. Yes. Uh, and then the next sketch is Oda Battle. Who dare battle me? Who dare play Oda Battle? You think you're a big man? Well then, come on, big man. I um, like this sketch. Yeah. My next note is, this is ADHD theater. Like, it is so quick and confusing that, like... It feels so, like, it's so jarring. Yes. So basically, the we see the kid in the 90s computer again. Yeah, because we'd forgotten about that. And, like, the frame story here. And uh, he's playing Oda Battle, where you fight Steve Odekirk, who is, like, this big jacked guy. But the only characters you can pick to fight uh, Steve Odekirk are... Accountant, old woman, sick old woman, sick old woman, little girl, and puppy. An herba pet, which is definitely oh, an herba pet. It's a don't sue us chia pet. Yes, and basically, this kid is desperately trying to beat Steve Odekirk, but Steve Odekirk has access to all these weapons and powers and powers. But the the child, like the accountant, can throw a calculator. Yeah. So it's just this idea of Steve Odekirk using the power of the internet to make himself a god and forcing you to be unable to defeat him. Yeah. Uh, I really thought this sketch would have paid off better if one of the lesser powered characters had been able to beat him. Right. Uh, but that doesn't happen. Here's the thing. Okay. This this is kind of the big thing that I know about this show that you don't. Okay. If you go... To steve.odakirk.com, at least back in 1997, all this stuff was real. Okay. So I was a Steve Odakirk fan in high school, like a super huge Steve Odakirk fan. So I remember going to this website, I believe it was actually oentertainment.com. And not only was like these sketches there, you could play Oda Battle. Okay. So it was an actual real video game. And you could pick between... You could only pick between little girl, sick old woman, and accountant in the game. Okay. But it was the same just like super unfair like fighting game. And he would mock you the whole time. And like when you lost a cinematic of uh, like you getting shot with the giant cannon would play. But it was possible to win. Okay. It was really, really hard, but it was possible. And when you won, he would call you a cheater and the game would shut off. Okay. So that punchline was there, but it was for the internet. Okay. Instead of it being here, you just kind of like had to hunt it down. And like nothing about this show makes me want to know more at this point. (laughs) Um... And then we get back to the glass booth guy. Yes. I hate this sketch. Okay. Uh, this is the sketch. A woman approaches. 
young woman mm-hmm. and gives him her credit card and it's like, you know, 20 on pump two. And this is so confusing to me because I'm from New Jersey and I'm like, huh? But anyway. <laughs> uh, you give it to the attendant, lady. What are you doing? You, 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 Why are you out of your car? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what they're there for. And he then cuts up her credit card in front of her. And all I can think as a woman is, shit, I needed gas enough to go to a gas station in the middle of the night, which means I needed gas. Right. Because I would wait till tomorrow if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And this man has now cut up my credit card. To me, this is a horror. This is the beginning of a horror movie. Yeah. Like, and this is like, I I always have this issue with like male dominated comedy of like, oh, they don't look at this as being a terrifying situation. Mm -hmm. They think this is wacky hijinks. And I can't help but look at it as being like, oh my God, she's in trouble. Right. Uh, So I hated this sketch. And then he kind of like goads her into kissing the glass. Yeah. To get her credit card back. And then you see he takes a picture of her face smushed up against the glass. Yeah, a Polaroid picture. And then puts it on a picture behind him with all of these other Polaroids of women doing the same thing. Yes. So he's a serial creep and abuser. Yeah, th- this is a very old joke. This is this is the joke of, uh, I walked into a pet store and I saw this parrot. And the parrot was just sitting there going 17, 17, 17, 17, 17. And I was like, what's this about? And then I put my finger up to it, and it bit it, and it went 18, 18, 18, 18. So the idea is like, oh, this happens all the time. It's taken in this really weird, creepy direction, uh, but that's it's an old joke, is is the point I'm making. <laughs> yeah, I just, I didn't care for this sketch. I And I know it's like I'm looking at it through a very different lens than it was written in, and that it was probably seen in. Yeah, I I think... This is going to come back one more time. Yeah. And I I think you're supposed to feel a little bit better about it by the third sketch. But we'll discuss that when we get to it. Yeah. And then we have the weird bacon sketch. Yes. This is Bacon Babe where they show bacon and then it cuts to a pig on the couch watching it. And it's like, wow. Now that is going too far. Honey, where is that remote? Ah, where is that remote? I tell you, I'm this close to getting up. Yeah. But now we've set up this weird frame story that there are, this is a pig that's watching the show. Mm Mm-hmm. But we've also set up that this is a game disc that this kid is playing. Yeah. So now nothing makes sense. Yep. So next we get the skeleton on a date sketch. And it's basically this woman trying to break up with this skeleton. Yeah. And my next note is, what the hell is this? Well, here's the thing. The, the skeleton's like, why do you want to break up with me? And the first thing she says is, kissing you is weird. You don't have any lips. But the skeleton is clearly animated with lips. He also has a tongue, which we see repeatedly, because there's this one tongue effect. They just keep doing. They keep using, yeah. So, like, that, like, it's a small... This is what is called a comedy disconnect. This is a trap in comedy. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you've ever seen a stand-up comedian and they go up there and the first part of their set is about how it's hard to be single. Yeah. Then the next part is about their wife. Mm -hmm. And then the next part is about them being gay. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, what am I supposed to be thinking here? And like... You can wave that away and just say, well, it's jokes. It shouldn't matter. But you're just disrespecting your audience then. Yeah, like I tell jokes about engagement and I slide my wedding ring in my pocket. Right, because you don't want to have that comedy disconnect of them being finding fault in your joke. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening here. Like I understand you want to give the skeleton lips because you're animating it and to make it like lip sync the words that are being said. You need to have lips or else it's just going ga 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 ga. It's just going what? Ga 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 ga. I don't usually wish this was a video podcast. <laughs> so I understand the need to do that, but you're ruining your own joke. Uh, also, it's very hard for this poor woman who is clearly just sitting on a like green stool. Yeah. In this green world so it can be animated later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. And like this is before that style of acting mm-hmm. was so prevalent. Like acting in front of a green screen with nothing to work with wasn't 
like, it didn't have the prevalence it currently does. Like, when you watch the making of feature of any big blockbuster now, mm-hmm. you're sitting there going like, wow, Dave Bautista is all made up. Sitting in a green room talking to a tennis ball with googly eyes. Yeah, and that tennis ball with googly eyes is important because she loses the eye line yes. with the skeleton every now and then. Uh, on top of that, like, the the joke of this is, the, like, let's just be friends and the skeleton being like, oh. Bobby and Lisa are such good friends. <laughs> Bobby and Lisa are such good friends. Hey! Hey! Bobby. There go Bobby and Lisa! Bobby. They're such good Bobby. friends! There they go! That's a good Rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Bobby and Lisa! I thought I got trying! Bobby, 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 Lisa! The ending punchline is like a friend zoning. Yeah. It's just kind of like, okay. <laughs> uh, my next note here is Joey Gladstone should have won Star Search. This is the moment? This yeah. This is the moment where you're like, it's time to time to switch this up? Yeah, we, I've got about a page left in notes, but at, this is the point where I'm like, kind of gone on yes. this show. Uh, the next thing we see is the Steve Odekirk avatar, the cartoon version of him, mm-hmm. doing stand-up about the word duh. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> duh. <laughs> That's a great word. Duh. You should all use that. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that need to hear duh all the time. Like when you go into the bank, uh, may I deposit that into your account? Duh. And every time he says duh, it gets a little bit more like wildly animated. Mm-hmm. You can't do cartoon stand-up. You just can't. It's the whole point of stand-up comedy is getting an audience full of people to relate to you. You can't relate to this cartoon avatar. Like, it's never been done successfully. I ever. think it could be done. I definitely don't think Odekirk is the one to do it. I mean, can, can you think of a time where a cartoon stand-up has worked? No, but I I kind of think that, like, just because it hasn't doesn't mean it can't. Well, here's my thoughts on it. There, I know that there's an entire episode of Death Clock, uh, Metalocalypse, uh, about it. And it's about stand-up, mm-hmm. so it's less about like the jokes and more of like the struggles of doing comedy. Yeah. It's a great episode, but no one has like a killer set in it. The only time I can think of cartoons doing stand up is in Grand Theft Auto 4. Cause Nico and his cousin can go to the comedy club and watch either Cat Williams or Ricky Gervais. And it's what a strange pair of comics right? to pick. And like they're on different ends of the spectrum in terms of comedy and just animating them something gets lost yeah and like these are comics that I enjoy and I think are funny and like some watching these bits and both of them are indisputably successful stand-up comics exactly you're taking away the human element and that's where stand-up comedy lives yeah, true. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, I'm sure like a Roger Rabbit situation. But I think that also would have to be a cartoon audience. I think you could do a bit where there's yeah. a cartoon stand-up comedian performing in front of a cartoon audience. It's like, don't you just hate when the anvils get dropped on you? And everyone's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because like, I'm not going to be able to relate to the struggles of Roger Rabbit. Right. And that's where comedy works. That's where stand-up works. Yeah, I think that's I think that's where we're disconnecting is I'm thinking of like, oh, I could see a stand-up scene working in a cartoon. But the audience in my mind is also animated. I'm saying you're the audience. The comedian's a cartoon. Yeah, because you know what I was actually thinking of? When we see an animated uh, comedian? Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor. You know what? That is a good one. That is a good point. Uh, And for those of you who are not like super theme park dweebs like I am, uh, Monsters Inc. Laugh Floor is an attraction in Disney World. It's currently closed because of, you know, the Rona. uh, Where you go in... And there is an actor hiding under something. But we only see a CGI monster doing this in real time. Mm-hmm. So it's a comedian kind of going through an animated avatar who's a monster because the ending of Monsters, Inc. is laughter is more effective than screams. Right. So we Spo- bring in... Spoilers for the film Monsters, Inc. Spoilers for a 20-year-old movie. <laughs> um, 
So you kind of get this like, oh, okay, we're going to do a comedy show for the humans to get power. Right. And it's hosted by Mike Wazowski. And then his cousin, Mark Wazowski, does all of the like... Interacting with the crowds. Yeah, because they couldn't get Billy Crystal to just live in the Magic Kingdom forever. Yeah. Uh, and it's a really cool thing. Yeah. I mean, a big part of that is also they're not just like hiding somewhere. They're wearing face tracking uh, things. Yeah. So that like they can make expressions in the moment that we can relate to as the audience. Yeah. So it is mocap instead of. Yeah. In this, part of the joke is whenever Steve Odekirk's avatar says, duh, his eyes get a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's not a relatable action. No, you're right. Um, sorry, I wouldn't, I'll talk about Disney theme park attractions all damn day compared to this. Uh, next, we see a singing geisha and doing the Hotzi intro. Hotzi gets an intro. Yes. For this sketch. He was once a little green blob of wasabi. You should see him now. His name is Hotzi. He can spice up any food with his sushi pal ginger too. If you've got a heartburn, then Hotzi's a part of you. Hot Hotzi, which is a lump of wasabi. It looks like Gumby. Yeah, it looks like Gumby. And he has a sidekick who's gin- pickled ginger. Yes. And Hotzi likes to sneak his way onto food and burn your mouth. Yeah. And we see the guy from Dodgeball, whose name I don't know. Steven Root. Steven Root eating a hamburger. Uh, the guy from Dodgeball, or as uh, some of our audience might know him, Milton from The Office. Yes. That's like his biggest role, I think. Uh, he's eating a hamburger and Hotzi sneaks up. Rubs himself on the burger, and then when uh, this character, because he doesn't have a name, bites into the burger, it burns a hole in his tongue. Yeah. This is very late 90s, in that, like, this is the start of the sushi trend. Yes. So, like, people are just being introduced to the idea of wasabi, and we're still at the part of culture where it's like, wasabi is just green liquid fire. Who would possibly eat it? Hey, random spork girls, uh, how many of you put someone up to eating a a whole wad of wasabi in the mall food court? Yeah, yeah, like that's where they were in culture. Yeah. Today, like, wasabi is so part of, like, because sushi is so much part of our culture, that wasabi is part of our culture, that, like, there are people who can just do that because they like wasabi. Yeah, like... To put it into perspective, the wasabi you bought for your uh, cocktail, which, by the way, you forgot the garnish that you were going to put in it with those wasabi chips. Oh, whatever. Um, We just got that at our grocery store. We did not have to make any kind of special trip for that. Yeah, so this joke kind of works in 1997 where people are like, oh, wasabi, that's that weird green lava. Yeah, because I remember there was an episode of Doug where, like, Grandma takes Doug out for sushi and like, whoa, Grandma's wacky. Yeah, sushi. That's insane. It's raw fish. But now, like, sushi is very popular. Wasabi is very popular. Yeah, and like now it's... Now, like, Grandma has had sushi. Mm -hmm. This is the... This type of joke is the same as, like, the jokes of, like, bottled water. How crazy is that? Yeah, like, my college food court has sushi. Yeah. It's decent, actually. Uh, I will also say that Hot Hot Hotzi had his own game of course on steveodekirk.com where you ran around and had to, like, touch food and run away and torture people. Boy, um, I'm not a big wasabi fan myself. So we get back to Glass Booth Guy. Yes. And we see a cop come. And, like, he kind of has an altercation with the cop. Yes. And then we meet... Art Lalusa. Yeah, Art Lalusa. And he's like, don't you know who I am? And Glass Booth guy's like, no. Are you Lalusa? And uh, it turns out he's a locksmith. The Glass Booth guy is a less successful version of a David Spade character. Yes, it is very bye-bye. Yeah, but like much less successful. So I want to mention that when the locksmith opens the door, all the characters from the previous sketches show up. Yeah, Biff, the woman, the cop. Yeah. 
so I think we're supposed to feel satisfied that he got his like comeuppance. Comeuppance. I should also mention that like the whole La Lusa thing is just La Uzer from Ace Ventura. Yeah, La Lu- Okay, yeah, La Lusa. Yeah, yeah. Which was very late '90s humor too, of like different ways to call someone a loser. Yeah, that like La Who. The finger in your thumb. Yeah. Loser. Loser. I had to look at both my hands multiple times to do that to you for this audio podcast. No one will ever know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because like she was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead would come out two years later. Yes. Uh, No Riverdale reference. All star today. Today is all star. So we then get another like Bobby the Skeleton interlude. Because Bobby is the name of the skeleton from the Just Friends speech. And he just, he thinks the show is going well. Yeah. He's just telling me how well he thinks the show is going. And this is when I kind of have this moment of like, this was harder to watch than most of the shows we've watched. Because everything besides Turn On that we've watched has had a narrative. And you could kind of figure out where you were in the episode. Yeah. Like, oh, we're wrapping up. I am to the point where I'm in like a fugue state fever dream where I think we have always been watching Steve Odekirk and we will always be watching Steve (laughs) Odekirk. Like this is the part where I start to kind of like lose it. Yeah. And like we're coming off the two Heathers episodes. So I'm like my sanity while watching these shows is like very, very splintered. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, what the hell is this? Bring me a documentary. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So... I, I feel like somewhere in here we also had the balloon thing. Did, did the, the balloon? The balloon thing. Yeah, the incredible balloon thing. I don't have that anywhere. I don't think you did write it down, but this is what he does. He's like, it's time for the incredible balloon thing. And he would pose wildly mm-hmm. and like make this pose. He's like, you got to do that. Just show up at work tomorrow and go like this. This... Would have worked in a comedy club where Steve could have read the crowd and known how many times to do that. Yes. Because there's someone I know who does stand-up comedy uh, down in Atlantic City. And on a good night, he won't say a word. Really? Yeah. His whole bit is he comes out and he's afraid to start talking. So he'll come up and like shake his head at the microphone and walk away. He'll, like, say one word and then the noise will scare him and he'll run away. And on a good night with a good crowd, that'll be his 20-minute set. On That's a, bananas. On a bad night with a bad crowd, he'll realize this is not working and switch to more basic material. Okay. Steve doesn't have the opportunity to do this with this joke. Where you can read the crowd and see how many times and how far he can go with things. Because the crowd's not real. And he has no idea how the people at home are going to react. So he just shouldn't have done this bit. Uh, But they do cut to animated Steve in the audience going, I'm hilarious. Which is like immediately something that just makes you go, ugh. Oh, I wonder if this is when I have the note, white male mediocrity at peak. Maybe. Uh, because I definitely have that note in here. Nothing about this impresses me about Steve. I know you love Steve Odekirk. E- even the incredible balloon thing? Do you, uh, you don't even remember what it was, do you? No. He blew up two balloons. He put them to his temples. And then he lets them go so they just go <laughs> into his head. Okay. So fun story, kids. The incredible balloon thing. Uh, I used to work at a department store in my college years, and I worked in the children's department for a little while, which went about as well as you think that did. But my boss was like, we're going to do a big children's day. So I called my friend who was a party clown. And I was also moonlighting as a party princess at the time, because that tracks. Money kids. Money kids. I I feel like me being a party princess tracks. Yeah. Uh, And we, I did more with balloons on this day at Macy's being a party princess than this sketch. And I was paid considerably less. Probably. Uh, so then I believe it's baby interview. Yes. 
Yeah, I don't have a lot of notes about this. I'm yeah. so confused at this point. Yeah, it's basically Steve Odekirk is trying to get a job, but the oh, doc, okay. the, the the boss he is uh, interviewing for is a baby. Mm-hmm. And like, since the baby doesn't respond to him, he kind of freaks out and thinks that it, and admits because, he lied on his resume. Yeah, that's the whole sketch. Uh, and then we get the game show. Uh, what did I just say? What did I just say? Where it is. Hosted by Steve Odekirk, the contestants are Team 1 is two mannequins, and Team 2 is Steve Odekirk again, and Fred Willard. Yeah, Fred Willard! Rest his soul, deserves better than this show. And the idea is it's basically password, but instead of it being, I'm trying to get you to say a word based on my clues, I'm just trying to get you to to repeat the word. Yeah, repeat the word I just said. Latex. Latex! Yeah! Uh, this is, like, kind of a funny idea, but, like, there's not a lot there. This is a 15-second sketch. Yes. Like, not in the show. It's much longer in the show. But this... Uh, you and I have actually had this discussion about college humor, Key and Peele, and SNL. And one of the amazing things about Key and Peele to me mm-hmm. is Key and Peele knows exactly how long to run a sketch. Yes. They have very few sketches that run way too long for the bit. Like, we watched that one where the guy says, like, uh, he keeps saying dick instead of legs. Oh, yes. And it's about a minute long, and that's mm-hmm. about how long there is in that humor. Now, and I kind of think what the, the format of the sketch is you do it once, and it's like latex, latex. Then he did it again. It was like, sandwich, sandwich. And then it was like, all right, now it's time for the speed round. And they're just trying to get them, each other to say the, the words as fast as possible back and forth to each other. But for some reason, Steve keeps passing on the word dog. Mm-hmm. Which I think that's the logic to the sketch. Like you establish it twice, then you do a fast version, and you don't quite win because for some reason the word dog is tricky. It would be so much more sensible to make the words longer and more complicated. I mean, I think that would make it logical and not funny. Like, if I said... Well, it's not funny this way either. I liked this sketch. I did. But I think the issue with it is instead of letting that... I think the bit works. Where it's like, this is a really stupid game show. Okay. The host of the show, which I know is Steve Odekirk, is being like really weird... And like silly and like cynical, where it felt like they didn't believe enough in the bit mm-hmm. that he needed to be extra funny. Yeah. In a way that's just like, let this let this be a one-minute sketch without you just being like, it's host time. Yeah, because that's the complaint you and I have a lot about a lot of college humor and a lot of SNL sketches, is we're like, okay, this is. Two or three jokes stretched out over five minutes. Mm -hmm. And this is two or three jokes stretched out over five minutes. Right. Um, So the prize for this is an old lady who types and eats corn. Yeah. Would you like to hear my next three notes? Sure. Uh, This is peak random equals funny humor. Yes. Next bullet point. Guess what? Next bullet point. That's not humor. That's not humor. Moving on. Yeah, like... It didn't need that part of it. it. Again, it feels like they wrote a sketch that was kind of funny and could hold a minute of time. Yeah. And they're like, well, how can we stretch it? Yes. Well, let's make this, uh, like, the prize really weird. And this is, like, a usual fault in comedy when I'm teaching comedy classes of, like, when you have a premise... And then you answer the premise, that's comedy. Like, what if you took a game show like pow, uh, like Password, made it very easy and simple, and still had the, the contestants struggle? That would work as comedy. But when it's like, what if you took the game show Password, and then there's lots of farts? It's like, well, no, those things don't go together. <laughs> like, you're just trying to be funny instead of creating something that's funny. And that's what the host is. That's what the prize is. It's just like, you're not doing it right. The next sketch that we have is then a very bad soup ad. It's just an ad for bad soup. Finnegan soup makes you die. Yeah, it's almost the same sketch. Like, the same idea. Like, what if it's this, but really bad? I I really feel like 
all that again. Mm-hmm. Like, this is humor written by 10-year-olds. Yeah. Like, what is a bad soup sketch? Oh, it makes you die! Yes. Like, there's nothing clever about it. There's nothing interesting about it. It's just dancing soup can saying that they're going to make you die. Yes. That would be the coffee pot making its return to the podcast. We haven't had it on. It didn't appear in Heather's, but uh, coffee pot is returning for Steve Odekirk. I've got a question for you. Yes. Does the coffee pot have a jingle? No. Can it? Interrupting coffee pot. I'm the interrupting coffee pot. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, I then have the d- note of this is a little Dana Carvey show-esque and... I actually want to apologize because Dana Carvey at least had, like, a good premise for most of their sketches. Right. A lot of these sketches, it's a joke that they try to stretch for just entirely too long. Yes. And that is very much shown in this movie interview. Yes. Where Tom Wilson, a.k.a. Biff, returns to interview Steve, who is playing, like, this weird director. Yeah, who he... Intentionally unpronounceable foreign name... Uh, that's supposed to be very Eastern European. He looks like goddamn gold member in Austin Powers. He looks a lot like this gold is pre like this is pre uh, spy who shagged me. So this is pre gold member, but he looks exactly like how Mike Myers is made up to look like gold member. Right, and um, this is where like he the line from the beginning it comes inwards. Sometimes I sometimes I say monkey. While other people talk. You'll try it, you talk. You talk. No, I don't want to monkey. try it. <laughs> I want to monkey. This is monkey. Monkey. No matter what you say, I always have monkey. I, I love this game. It's, it never gets too far gone for me. It's weird. I don't know if it's a joke. It feels like another sketch written by a 10-year-old. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of thing I would have done to somebody when I was not... like. I might have liked this when it was airing, because this would have been my sense of humor at nine. Yeah. Um, so the next bit is we get another stand-up bit. Yes. And it's the bathroom gender joke, which I've seen so many iterations of over the years. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen it. Would have seen it a lot in 1997. Yeah, it's the... when. They don't put women or men on the bathroom door. They put, like, something creative. Yeah, it was mackerel or squid. Yes. <laughs> it was like, I don't know if I'm a mackerel or a squid. And, like, I remember that being in vogue for a time. Yeah. And so, like, that classic chestnut. Yes. And then we get the plane stalker. Yes. This sketch kind of works. I like this sketch. Basically, because it kind of works on more than one level, which is rare. Yes. And it's the idea that Steve Odekirk is worried because a plane is stalking him. And basically, he's just kind of walking around the city, and there's always a plane flying around in the background. Yes. So it's kind of funny to be like, oh, there are always planes. But this one guy thinks that the plane is stalking him. And then, as we move further, instead of it being in the sky, it's actually like peeking at him from behind a building. Yeah, so like the joke actually kind of works because it's like, no, this guy's an idiot. There's just a plane in the sky. Oh, no, wait. The plane is stalking him. Yes. It, this one kind of works. Yeah, I remember watching this one on uh, steveoderkirk.com and liking it. <laughs> I thought it was very funny. It was one of the things that made me like want to hunt this down. Yeah, like I, I'm going to be honest. The sketch works. Yes. Um, so then we get back to him doing stand-up. Yes, and I like this prop. He has a guitar that has a radio in it instead of strings. Yeah. So instead of playing the guitar, he just hits a button that plays music. That's a fun prop. Yeah. Uh, And then he does like, this is a few things you never hear people say. Yes. And it's lame. This is something that I feel like every musical comedian I've ever seen has done. Yeah. Because I know Bo Burnham does this exact joke. Yeah. Where he's just like, I like to say something that no one else has ever uh, said, just so I feel new and unique. Like, uh, peanut butter sneaker shoes. Or, uh, son, I saw your comedy show and I loved it. Like, stuff like that. And it's just, it's one of those things where when you have music, you're like, all I have to do now is say funny stuff. 
and it's still going to be good because there's also music. Like, yeah. I know Dimitri Martin does this. Like, here are things that are opposite. Okay. This is a Dimitri Martin song. Like, this is just a common bit. And there's some, there's a few gems in this one where it's like, ah, yeah, no one will ever say that. Funny. You never hear people say, let's move to France and get treated like crap. My nose is broken, so kick it. You don't know what ugly is till you've seen me. Can I have that piece of food in your beard? But that that's it. Yeah, and I feel like both of the comedians you mentioned do this bit more successfully. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, Bo Burnham, son, I really enjoyed your comedy show. Yeah. It kind of pivots from like, oh, I'm so random to uh, Bo Burnham turning the joke back onto himself. Which mm-hmm. is a very Bo Burnham yeah. thing. Uh, I do really like Bo Burnham, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm i at the point where my note here is, uh, with no narrative, this feels goddamn endless. Yeah. And, oh, it's 90s turn on. Yes. And then I think it ends. This is the end, right? Yeah. The next note I have is, oh, yeah, the frame story. Because we go back to Billy and his mom. Yes. And... Billy's mom walks by his room, and then there's this, like, terrifying effect. Yeah, it's the, it's the Terminator 2, like... Face coming, face out, of coming out of the door. And the idea is that, like, he's going... He's just involved with whatever this computer virus is. Yeah, like, Billy has been claimed by Steve Odekirk. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like Freakazoid, almost. Yeah. Like the internet has grabbed him. <laughs> Uh, and then my last note is, hey, Third Rock from the Sun has moved to Wednesdays. <laughs> yes, which is because the end the, credits. The feed we watched was the NBC feed where they're like, Third Rock, new night, Wednesday. And then my final note is, yeah, you know, Third Rock from the Sun ran forever. Yeah. But I feel like nobody references it. Yeah, it's it never became that thing that like everyone syndicated. Yeah, I feel like that show like completely faded from the pop culture zeitgeist. Yeah, it it won a bunch of Emmys. Like it launched Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is yeah. still a big star, mm-hmm. and John Lithgow was in it. Like yeah. it was a big show when it was running, but like yeah, I I don't remember it being like that thing that was replayed on Nick at Night or TBS. Yeah, so. it doesn't have that like Friends, Frasier, Full House. I don't think it's on Third Rock from the Third Rock from the Front. Uh, I don't think it's on like Netflix or anything either. So it's not in that like zeitgeist of we rewatchable sitcoms. Yeah, it's not going to get that like that second streaming life that a lot of shows get. And it was good. I really like Third Rock. So that that was thoughts about Third. It ran for six seasons. Yeah. Oh, there's. You can stream it almost anywhere. Like, it's, oh, is it? Yeah, it's on Peacock. It's on Roku. Those, it's on Tubi. Okay, those are not the the big ones, though. No, it's not on like Netflix, Hulu, or Disney Plus. But like, you can watch Third Rock from the Sun for free, pretty much anywhere. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like saying you can watch it anywhere, like Daily Motion, or like those are not the big ones. I'm no. surprised. It's it's a good show. Uh, so that was that was the show. Yeah, the show is... So long. here's the interesting thing. Okay. Like I said, I was a big fan of Steve Odekirk in my high school days. Yeah, this was your Megan Wants a Millionaire. This yeah. was like your white whale. So I really wanted to see this show, and it had turned out that... Because like, he put clips of it on his website. Right. Along with these, like, games and stuff. So, you know, I played Hot 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 Tea. I want to say I couldn't find uh, any remnants of this, but I feel like there was a Plain Stalker Pac-Man game. Okay. That was also, like, playable. Uh, So there's a lot of, like, interesting stuff on the website. And I like the idea of the full experience is with the website. And this kind of idea, like, with every episode, there'd be new stuff on the website to check out. And kind of creating a content loop there where it's like you watch the show. And then you go to the website and you play some games. And then you watch the next show. I think the concept is good, but, like, it's the 90s and no one understood the internet yet. Yeah. And, like, if you go in the Wayback Machine, you can find a lot of this stuff. And it's not like there was ads on those websites. You can't play anything because Flash is dead. Yeah. But you can see remnants of it. But there are three sketches that I remember from the website that 
do not appear in the show. Yep. Uh, there is a sketch called Wild Iglesias, which I don't remember. Okay. But I remember, but it was like listed there. There was a sketch called Vet Cliff, and it was a veterinarian that was just on the side of a cliff, and you would bring your dog to them, and then he would just throw it off a cliff. Okay. And then there was a, another one called Fat Back Jack, which was like this insanely fat hillbilly, like Jabba the Hutt-sized hillbilly. Okay. Playing the banjo, saying that he needed to get married so he'd have someone in his life to help him find his shoes. Okay. <laughs> And then I think at the end, he dies. Like, I think that's the end of that sketch. So there were more sketches that did not air uh, that were I assume would be episode two. Okay, yeah, because I can imagine they wanted the show to run longer. Uh, I doubt that there are any more that are gone unseen, because I imagine Steve just put them all up on his website. Yeah, I would think you would. That, like, kind of free content, pre-YouTube. yeah. Uh, so there was more to this, so clearly it was meant to be a show. It's just, it's very ADD, it moves way too quick. Yeah. It loses its own premises constantly. Yes. And like, we're, we're in this time where weird is funny on the internet. Weird is not funny uh, on TV. Yeah, this is pre like Adult Swim, this is pre... Like, that kind of humor yes. becoming in vogue. So you could argue that this is a little bit ahead of its time in a way. And I think, like, if this had been... If you'd taken this exact thing and boiled it down to four 11-minute web shows, this might have worked. Yeah, because do you remember there was a website called PassThisOn.com? I do not. It was just, like, this weird little funny website. And it was, like, little pranks and stuff you could do. And I remember one in particular was uh, you clicked on this website and you said, did you know every computer has a camera built into it? Which at the time was not true. LOL. I was like, yeah, it's in the upper left corner of your screen. Smile and we'll take a picture of you. And like you'd hit a button to take the picture and it would make like a camera noise. And then a picture of a monkey would show up. Okay. And it's like, it's not super clever. It's just kind of weird. Right. Uh, another one I remember this was uh, Save the Whales. And you would just click it and it would say Save the Whales. And it was someone uh, skinny dipping, coming out of the water. And then like water would blow out of their butt. <laughs> Not super funny, but very weird. And super, super bite-sized because the time it took to download an image on 90s internet was like, 45 seconds? Because I remember, like, the game Elf Bowling being really popular in that time period. And it was, like, quote, quote, edgy because the elves, like, would sass you. Yes. And it was only 10 frames of bowling. Right. But it was that similar kind of, like, ha, 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 the elf farted on you. Yeah, it's like, here's a weird thing. It's interactive. You would never see this on television. So to then take that content, move it to television... What made it special as it being this weird thing you found by accident on the internet. Yeah. And making it a thing that shows up at nine o'clock on Thursdays on NBC. Yeah. Like that that erases any of the forgiveness you would give it for being on the internet and just makes it not work. And I feel like this show was too expensive for what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the show would have done better airing at a weird time slot at night. Yeah. Like, at night-night. Like, we always talk about Adult Swim being kind of the domain of stoners and college students at a certain time of like, oh, this is when you watched while you, like, got high with all your friends. Yes. That's what the show kind of felt like. Yeah, this would make sense as an off-the-air or infomercials show on Adult Swim, which, if you don't know, they have a show called Infomercials and a show called Off the Air. So that's what it comes up on your, uh, like... Your ID. Yes. So this, it's just a little thing to be like, wait, this is wrong. What is this? Yeah, and stuff like Too Many Cooks originally aired in that. Yeah, that was originally an off-the-air or infomercial, I forget. And in subsequent airings, it aired as Too Many Cooks. But yes. But in its original, uh, this was a thing uh, Adult Swim did a lot of. 
Yes. Uh, I believe unedited footage of a bear. Yes. This house has one. people in it. That's one of my favorites. Uh, those all aired in these like weird pop-up spots. That's how I think this show would have benefited. And to be honest, a lot of the things you just named had a website that you went to that had interactive elements. Uh, like unedited footage of a bear. There's a whole part where like you can go through the house that they show. Yeah. Find clues. Uh, this house has people in it has another two hours of footage that you can find on the internet. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like creating that content loop that steveodekirk.com was trying to do is exactly what Adult Swim does. Uh, did you know anybody who watched any of those first run by accident? Uh, not really. I remember the Too Many Cooks phenomenon where everyone was just kind of like... I remember it being on the front page of Reddit the next day. And it was like, I fell asleep to this. And Adult Swim did not advertise this at all. And then ever since then, it was kind of, the cat was kind of out of the bag. Because Too Many Cooks was such a sensation. I mean, I still win the ultimate gold medal. For having the piss scared out of me by right. Adult Swim in the middle of the night. Uh, there was an ad that ran. It was just like, it was legitimately like a fake ad. It was a real ad. Oh, it was a real ad, but like it wasn't like a 15, 20 minute thing. It was just like a commercial. Yeah, it was for the Moon and Nights hats. And so I'm like in my, I, I want to say I'm like either in my dorm room or in my like room in my parents' house watching Adult Swim in the middle of the night. And I wake up and it's footage of my real life friend being hit by a car. Yeah. And I like did not take that well. He was in... All reality, an intern for Adult Swim. Yeah. So it was him in the middle of the night on my TV getting hit by a car. Yeah. So I win. Uh, I'll see if I can find that commercial and I'll stick it in here. Yeah, because he's definitely, he's definitely in that commercial and still terrifying to remember. Um, this show, I guess we have the, uh, is it is it verdict time? Yeah, I think so. I think it's very clearly a stay doomed. It is such a stay doomed. It's not adult or sophisticated enough to be an adult swim kind of show. Uh, it is so stupid. Yeah. I like Steve Odekirk a lot, but this is a miss. I, I hate, I, I hated this. And just it coming off Heather's like. <laughs> we needed something good. Yeah. I, I need to watch something, something entertaining at least. I am not entertained, y'all. Yes. So. To, to move this towards the end of the show, thank you to Crypt Keeper Matthew for uh, being a Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Uh, we have our... we By the time this goes up, we might have our second episode of the Crowdfund Crypt up. We are watching Trapped. Yeah. Which is a UK children's game show. I'll include some links if you want to watch that. And then join our Patreon if you want to give that a listen. Uh, you can start at just $5 and you get to join our Discord and talk to us about stuff like this. I mean, mostly it's been me complaining about Heathers for like a week now. So, uh, What are we watching next week? Uh, so technically, we don't know yet. This is true. Uh, because we're recording this ahead. We're actually ahead for a change. Yeah. And the Razzie nominations come out, I believe, March 13th. And we are not there yet. So we don't technically know what the Razzie nominations are going to be yet. But we're going to bet on Doolittle. Yes. Uh, Doolittle is available on HBO Max. So bet on that. Because yes. I, I really think that's going to be a nominee this year. Yeah. If not, I'll edit something else in uh, right now. <laughs> Editor Noah here, cutting in what the Razzie nominations are. Next week, we will, in fact, be watching Doolittle, which you can watch right now on HBO Max. The other Razzie nominations include 365 Days, Fantasy Island, Music, and Absolute Proof, which is a documentary about the election by the My Pillow guy which we're not sure we really want to do. We don't want to really signal boost that movie. Plus, we don't really do documentaries. I don't know if this is going to be something that Stay Doomed really should be taking a look at. So we decided to put the vote up to you. What will we do for that fifth slot of Razzie Month? Will we do Absolute Proof as it is, in fact, nominated for Worst Picture. Will we do what our crowdfund Crypt Keeper suggested, which is Battlefield Earth, the film that won Worst Movie of the Decade? Uh, 
Will we do Laura's favorite bad movie, Batman and Robin, which did not win Worst Picture, but did win Worst Female Performance for Alicia Silverstone as Batgirl? Or will we do my choice, the only movie to win in every category, Jack and Jill? You can vote right now on the at Stay Doomed Twitter page. Yay! Okay, so uh, we're thinking Doolittle, and we're going to be sliding to Razzie Month. Razzie Month, yes. Woo! So this is the month where we always watch all the Razzie-nominated films. So uh, go ahead and look those up and uh, watch any of them, because there'll be an episode coming for all of them eventually. Yeah! Where can people find us, Laura? You can email us at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And if you want to talk to me about the idea of cartoons doing stand-up comedy, I'm at Plus Two Comedy. If you miss Megan Wants a Millionaire, I'm at Sprocket League. Until next time, stay doomed. <laughs>